intelligent communities are born out of crisis, typically, uh, or opportunity. Our crisis was really born more out of the opportunity side, but it was still a crisis. You're listening to episode 278 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Christopher recently spoke at an event in Dublin, Ohio, hosted by the Global Institute for the Study of the Intelligent Community. While he was there, he spoke with Dublin City Manager Dana McDaniel about the event and, of course, the community's municipal fiber network that has spurred economic development and provided so many other benefits. During their conversation, they discussed the Institute's work and their discoveries. Now here's Christopher and Dana McDaniel. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm on site in Dublin, Ohio, talking with Dana McDaniel, city manager of Dublin, Ohio, and host of the Global Institute for the Study of the Intelligent Community. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me, and thanks for being with us. It's nice to do the interview after my presentation, after I've seen a bit, because I have a better sense of what's going on here, and it's, it's pretty impressive. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, where, where are we? Where's Dublin for people who have never been here, and what's it like? Okay, well, Dublin, Ohio is a suburb of Columbus, and I think as most people probably know, Columbus is central to uh, the state of Ohio, and uh, of course- Both the figuratively and physically. There you go. In a lot of ways, that's very true. Yeah, so we're a suburb of of Columbus on the northwest side. Uh, We have a population of about 47,000 people. Our daytime population is closer to 70,000. We have a lot of businesses. We have nearly 4,000 businesses in our community, and several of which are corporate headquarter types. So, um, So we import more jobs than we export, which is a good thing. Absolutely. And it seems like a lot of growing industries here. We're here at Ohio University, which is not the Ohio State University for people who might be confused, but at Ohio University where there's a lot of thinking about the future, it looks like. Right. Yeah. Well, we're fortunate to have this Ohio University satellite campus. Uh, The main campus is in Athens, Ohio, and we're sitting on the the Ohio University campus. But uh, yes, we, we are uh, pretty close as well to the the Ohio State University, and uh, it's uh, as you know, it's a very large university. We have a great partnership with them as well. So, uh, Ohio University is establishing a, a satellite campus here and has plans for growth. So, well, we're going to talk about Dublink in a second, which is uh, the the wonderful underground conduit system that you've developed over many years. But I wanted to first get a better sense of. What are, what's an intelligent community, and and what's the institute doing? Right. So the intelligent community is part of the intelligent community forum, uh, which was founded by three members. Uh, it is a New York City think tank, is a is a way to look at it. But they're globally connected. Uh, they uh, have a movement which I which is very much a global movement. Uh, it's it's really at its core, our principles of what. Um, they and the folks who participate with them consider to uh, comprise an intelligent community. And there are certain indicators that they use as benchmarks. So one is broadband, meaning, you know, what is the broadband infrastructure in your community, the knowledge workforce that leverages off of that. What innovation do you bring to bear uh, relative to those and participate in the global economy, the global broadband economy? And then the other indicators uh, would include digital equity, and that is uh, to what extent can everyone in your community access and participate in 
this uh, broadband economy, and then sustainability, meaning how is our world going to absorb the waste that we generate um, and and strike that balance. And then the last is advocacy, and that is how do you, as a community, share your story. And I think the key there is how do you share it so that you're helping others, but equally you're learning from those people that you're trying to help as well. And that's that's a lot of what this institute is about. Um, there were, uh, were two institutes, um, initially one out of um, Mississippi State uh, Cooperative Extension Service, uh, that had a real focus on the rural imperative and how broadband affects rural communities. And then uh, another one that was started in Ohio at Walsh University in Northeast Ohio, and then that has relocated to Dublin. And um, we've been fortunate to pick up um, on all the good work that Walsh did and um, and then trying to um, carry that forward. And the thought of the Institute really is we are a host. It's not a brick-and-mortar thing. It's really uh, a dialogue and a collaboration. And how do we bring communities together to talk about this thing of this notion of the intelligent community and um, the vision of the Institute, which was actually created by all of its participating members is toward an intelligent Ohio. So how can we as a state uh, and with the, the regions within the state become more intelligent in this concept of the intelligent community? One of the things that, that we were talking about this morning here at this, um, this gathering that you're having today uh, was how you've traveled all over the state and are working with communities all over the state. And so I'm, we're a big fan of that at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, this local organizing and, and trying to like help these different communities that are in proximity to each other organize locally along similar lines. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, Chris, you know, in listening to your presentation and getting to know you this morning a lot better, I, I think our missions are very aligned. You know, I think we are about trying to help local communities to better their positioning within the world, you know, globally um, by leveraging this thing of broadband, whether that's that physical infrastructure of broadband or how you leverage your access to it. But you got to make sure you have access to it, right, which is certainly a great mission that you all have. And and to your, to your question about um, kind of getting this word out around Ohio, we, we have as an institute taken uh, the show on the road, we call it. So it's been the ICF Roadshow, the Institute Roadshow, to uh, the five regions of the state, Central Ohio and, of course, North, as you can imagine, Northwest, Northeast, South, East, Southwest. Uh, and we, we went around and talked about uh, the intelligent community movement and what that meant. Uh, again, it's not about promoting the city of Dublin at all. It's about uh, the the movement and um, I think we we really um, we had good attendance at all those and a lot of cities um, even providers the industry providers attended wanting to know what that was about and um, I had great dialogue in, in all those different regions and then we have circled back to the northwest region and the southeast region and I think there's great momentum and if you think about Ohio in the southeast region it is more rural Northwest um, can be a little bit more rural, although although there are certainly some some great cities in both those regions. But that rural concept seems to play there, uh, and how do we help help with that? So that's been a big focus. Northeast Ohio is much more dense population mm-hmm. wise, and they're doing a lot of innovative things. Same with Southwest Ohio is more dense, and of course Central Ohio is actually the the more populated region within the state. So I think our our twist has become more in the rural. Um, with this and trying to to help other cities and communities 
as best we can. Not that we have the answers. Again, this is about us learning as much. The things that we brought back to Dublin in just hearing and talking has, has, has been phenomenal for us. Yeah, I definitely hear you on that. I mean, you just giving this presentation today that I gave, I learned a lot in the Q&A and also just as I was thinking about things the audience might find interesting. So that ability to talk and listen, I think, is something more people um, should think actively about. Uh, but let me ask you, one of the things I feel like an intelligent community exists in juxtaposition to might be a smart community. And often I think we think about smart communities as the largest cities. And you're talking about intelligent, smaller communities. So uh, tell me a little bit more about what's intelligent and also how that may apply to smaller cities as opposed to just the largest ones that are managing traffic, congestion, and things like that. You know, you have this big movement now in smart cities. And that's a huge thing here in, in, in Ohio, and especially in central Ohio, with some of the grant money that's come down from, from U.S. Department of Transportation on smart cities initiatives. But, but not to confuse the two, uh, the, the intelligent community really differentiates between the two. In fact, the intelligent community forum and movement really started uh, with smart cities back in the, the 90s, I believe it was, with that vernacular in use. But the idea is you know, smart cities initiatives help cities to work more efficiently, whereas intelligent communities help communities to be better communities overall. It's more comprehensive. I, so I love the question about the small cities because I use this when I, when I talk about the intelligent community. I have a slide, and it shows Mitchell, South Dakota, and I can't remember their population, but it's like less than 20,000. Home of the Corn Palace. I, I see, and every time I bring this up and I have a picture of the Corn Palace, I ask people, um, how many people have been to the Corn Palace? Every time I've done this presentation, someone in the room has raised their <laughs> hand, which I think is just fascinating. And then the and then I have a picture of Taipei City, Taiwan, which has uh, a population of six million. Both these cities uh, were labeled as top seven communities in the world at the same time. Right. So so what are their stories? Well, you know, you can imagine what Tai you know what Taipei's is, right? I mean, it's huge city it's it's big stuff going on and when you think about taiwan and what their wonderful cities do i mean it's they're all over the place with what they can do and the capacity you think of mitchell south dakota um you know we 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 feel that um intelligent communities are born out of crisis typically uh, or opportunity so what what was their crisis and i don't want to do them an injustice but generally what the the crux of it as i took it was they had the Corn Palace, but that represented who they were. They're an agricultural community uh, based in the corn industry. Obviously, agricultural industry is high-tech. But they, like many of us, were losing their youth uh, to other cities. So they wanted to take a look at how do they reposition themselves in this global market, in this global world and economy, and really focused on the knowledge worker and how do they bring knowledge workers and retain them and or attract them in Mitchell, South Dakota. And had this great story about how they achieved that. And some of it was through broadband and connectivity and the ability to participate in the broadband economy. And they have a beautiful story and as a, and, and not only a story, but results. And it landed them as one of the top seven communities in the world as, as judged and determined by the, the intelligent community forum but one thing I would like people to understand is that every year they have this we, – we tease and call it a beauty contest, but it's 
But it is an idea of measuring yourself against these benchmarks, these indicators, and the story against that and what difference it's made. Well, there are about 400 cities a year from across the world that apply for this recognition. And for Mitchell, South Dakota to be recognized like that is significant. So back to your question, that's what applies to small communities, or it does apply to small communities as much as it does the very large communities. Well, it's, it is wonderful to see an organization take seriously the large and the small, because um, uh, we were just watching a presentation this morning about the midsize and smaller cities in Ohio and how people might think when you hear Rust Belt, you might think Cleveland, Cincinnati. I, I often think about places in Pennsylvania, um, but there's a number of, of other areas that aren't doing as well when actually Cleveland and Cincinnati are doing better than people might assume. It's the, the midsize and smaller cities. I think they're, they're almost always passed over and ignored. Right. And, you know, that, that whole Rust Belt image that we've all been trying to shake, um, and certainly we went through the rusting of, of it all, um, but we really have tried to reposition ourselves as the Trust Belt, and it's a very different economy than it was back in the day. I love the – I wish folks could have seen this, and maybe you'll be able to show the slides somehow someday, but they showed Allentown, Pennsylvania. Where I was born. Is that right? Why? Yeah. You know what came to mind was Billy Joel yeah, and his song Allentown, which, yep. which I love. And uh, in that story that he told in that song, but yet Allentown's population has just been resurging compared to all those other former Rust Belt cities, although many of those are doing well, too. But I just thought that was really cool. When you think about Mm – that wasn't all that long ago. That was in the 80s, right, I think, when that song came out. And and telling that story, and here they are. My family is one of the ones that left in the early 90s. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, that's why we ended up in Minnesota and – Boy, I love it there. Um, but let me let me turn back to, to Dublin and um, let's talk about the uh, Dublink. Uh, just a brief description of what it is. Yeah. So when you think about crisis, um, our crisis was really born more out of the opportunity side, but it was still a crisis nonetheless. So we so I've been around the city now for twenty nine years. So I always bring that up, but but I'm an old guy now. But I've been here that long. But Back in the mid-90s, if you think about the Telecommunication Act of 96, at that time, we were one of the faster-growing cities in Ohio, if not in the country at that time, and we had just done $70 million of improvements in in some roadway, and we had these office buildings coming out of the ground, and then we had the the deregulation of the telecommunications industry, and all we could envision was our new roads being cut up over and over. So at the time... It was crisis to protect our investment in the right-of-way because we were afraid they were going to build out their customers one customer at a time, which meant how many cuts in the street. And so it was a right-of-way management initiative initially. For people who aren't aware, is the, cut, is the problem with the cut just aesthetics? Well, it's part of that. We had put in this new road system, and I could take you to that one road, and we've grown so much since then, but that one significant French road, it's called boulevard that we did in a, in front of our uh, legacy office parks which you know we're in the process of reinventing those too now but if you think about that at that time we built this new road beautiful road system beautifully landscaped and yeah it, we could just picture this thing being cut up and then when you're cutting up your roads you're degrading the integrity of the road and your investment in your public infrastructure has a, its life cycle is less every time you cut that pavement so, and at the time, boring technology wasn't what it is today. We envisioned road cuts and trenches and all that. So, 
So what we want to do is protect that. So we're going to do a right-of-way management policy, which was later adopted really on a regional basis. And then we franchised out a conduit system, which actually an intern of mine at the time named it Dublink, and um, it was a <laughs> conduit system. And then what happened later, a couple of years after that, um, we had the telecom bust. And we had companies, you know, we had, not we, but the industry had warehouses full of full of fiber sitting unused because of the bust. So the company who put in the conduit system, it's called the Fischl Company, and, now, and then Dublink LLC, and then they have another subsidiary called Columbus Fibernet where they built, we had this conduit system known as Dublink was about 25 miles long, and then they put in another 100 miles of that around the whole uh, region. Well, they came to us and said, look, for dimes on the dollar, we can sell you um, fiber optics. So would you like to buy fiber optics? Well, in exchange for letting them build the conduit system, we got one pipe. So then we said, okay, for $3.2 million, we got 125 miles of fiber optics in that one pipe that we owned. And uh, from that, we started learning the value of how to interconnect buildings as an economic development tool. We learned to interconnect our own buildings for institutional use and the cost avoidance that we experienced by running our own fiber optic system for our own facilities. And then later, we learned the value of subleasing dark fiber. So I'll give you the, the so what of that story. So at the end of the day, um, I can actually attach over 15,000 jobs, attracted, retained, or expanded in the city of Dublin directly tied to that fiber system. Uh, our lease revenues over the course of those lease agreements will bring us in nearly $3 million. And then our cost avoidance per year is approaching about $200,000 a year times almost 20 years we've been doing that. Add all that up, the income tax we get off of those jobs, uh, relative to the economic development uh, portion of that, uh, we've got about, at this point, about five and a half, approaching $6 million in the system. Our return on investment is over $40 million. That doesn't even begin to account for, I'm sure, efficiencies you've seen as a local government. Oh, now. yeah, we can't even quantify that really at this point, but there's a lot of them, yeah. So that's a great story of crisis <laughs> born out and, and just learning. And, and really, the Institute and the ICF movement, our involvement in that, the ICF indicators really became a context by which then we did economic development and how we did it and how we needed to, to connect and, and function as a city in this global economy. But then the institute piece of this is we've spent the last 20 years learning this stuff. What a shame if we're not sharing our lessons. Not that we have all the answers because we're learning. The other thing I'll add to that, in, in, in the context of us having that system, that system is only in our commercial area. So it's not in our residential area. And we're not running a fiber optic system to all of our residents. Now, we are providing 100 gigabit backbone now uh, access to businesses who want to access it. We have, we have established this as a research backbone. We're connected into the Ohio Supercomputer Center and the Ohio Supercomputer. We have a, a National Science Foundation genie rack. So we have companies accessing it for research as well as to the other reasons I told you. Um, but we're also fortunate, and I don't want to miss this point, that we have multiple providers in, the t in town. So I have as many as three providers competing in our residential areas. Uh, 
and we have many more than that competing in the high-density commercial areas. So we're fortunate to have that. Even though the conduit doesn't go throughout all of the residential areas, it has uh, lowered the cost of investment for competing firms. So they've invested more themselves because the conduit has gotten them closer to the neighborhoods, I'm guessing? I think there's some truth to that in the case of some of those, especially those are serving the commercial area because they could come in and lease conduit and not have to engineer it, not have to build it themselves. They could lease it. You know, some would argue, we haven't changed the price on that leasing since it was built in the late 90s. And some would argue, well, that's 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 expensive, and some are incumbents who just don't want to be in it. <laughs> uh, but there are a number of those who want to be in it and have deployed in the other conduits, and not to mention those who are leasing off of us. Uh, and all of that, by the way, is tied into a local data, two local data centers and then in regional data centers as well. So we have a presence in all these data centers. So that really helps us. We can help facilitate connecting individual companies, no matter how big or small you are, into a, a data center where you can cross-connect and pick and choose your provider. So just to make sure I have a clear picture, there is a, a firm called Dublink, and they have a bunch of conduit. Within that conduit, you have one conduit with a lot of fiber, and you can lease that out, um, but you're also making other services available as well? Correct. So we can lease that. I, I split that fiber bundle into, into thirds. So a third of it is institutional use, which we use for ourselves, uh, and, and we'll uh, allow other governmental entities to access it. As an example, we're, we're deploying 100 gigabit fiber optic right now and connecting up all of Dublin City Schools. Uh, so they'll be on the 100 gigabit backbone. Our Washington Township, who overlays us and provides fire and EMS service, they're connected to it. Uh, we're opening up this new U.S. 33 corridor autonomous and connected vehicle corridor in cooperation with the city of Marysville and Union County to our north and west with players like Honda and um, uh, the Ohio State University, the Transportation Research Center, U.S. Ohio Department of Transportation. Uh, we're building a new backbone up there, but it's connecting back into our backbone and our data center. So that's that gives you an idea of the institutional use. We sublease, like I said, and then the other thing we do, the other third of that, so that one-third is institutional use, one-third is, is, is just dark fiber leasing, and the other third is what I call economic development, and we actually hand off fiber strands to companies. So as an example, we have a regional hospital system um, that has multiple facilities throughout Central Ohio. Their entire system operates on our backbone. Um, and then we have some of our other corporate entities in Dublin who – may have multiple facilities in Dublin or multiple facilities in the region, and they operate on our backbone. And by doing that, they can experience the cost avoidance model. So there's one other sort of um, twist to that. And while we've allocated fiber to these larger companies, you know, it became apparent to us that the small company, the small medium-sized business who keeps their server in their broom closet, like I did as a city, can actually get their server down the street into an M plus two environment. They can go down if they want to see the lights blinking on the server, I call it, <laughs> and not to make fun of IT folks, but I tease them about that. They can go down the street and see it. It doesn't have to be in their broom closet, and it's in this great environment. So we have gotten into uh, extending in the commercial district um, fiber optics from our backbone into buildings, into multi-tenant buildings, and then positioned ourselves as a sort of a the middleman, if you will, that that can backhaul the data or the internet service back to the data center 
where the small business can come into a data center. They can put their server in that data center. So we give them commercial, you know, real estate space, if you will, for their server in that local data center. And when that's in there, they can cross connect and pick from, I think the numbers up to 13 different providers. Mm -hmm. So imagine the power of being able to leverage to 13 different providers. You know, you can switch providers routinely if you want. And and then we have the ability to crank that up on a hundred gigabit capacity pipe that we have. We actually have a hundred gig ability there. And, and so we can push that out to these smaller, medium-sized businesses. So that works well for us because we have a lot of R&D companies in town who really want to access that. So we're, we're, we're in the process of leveraging all that now. That's a long story, Chris, but that's how all these pieces and parts are working together. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, the bit about history is the longer you go, the more you have to yeah, talk true. about. Um, w- w- one last question that I'm curious about is uh, expansion. How have you prioritized uh, where to expand? Have you had any challenges with city council not wanting to reinvest or, or questioning how to reinvest? Well, I tell you, our city council, there's only one way to describe it, and this goes back now for multiple city councils back into the 90s. They All I can say about our councils is they get it. They just get it. Now it was proof of concept, and I have to give them credit. They took They took a leap of faith back in the day when we had the opportunity but I think we saw the opportunity. We were able to explain how to leverage it for our own use, and then the opportunity to leverage it for other uses came along. And, um, you know, we strike a tough balance between what what is our role as a city and what is the role of the industry and try to play together well with them. Sometimes that goes well, sometimes not so well, but we, we work at it. Um, now, I've talked a lot about this system being available in our uh, commercial area. We have expanded into the residential areas because we're hooking up our schools. It's not been our intent to go out and serve the residential area. But what I will tell you I find interesting is we survey our, our community every other year, every third year, and have been doing that now for a lot of years. And um, we put a battery of questions in there about their broadband service. And what we've seen over time in these snapshots of the survey is that their satisfaction rate with their upload-download speeds is decreasing. And while it's still relatively good, you can see that falling off. Well, in this last year, our chief information officer, Doug McCullough, um, started engaging some, some residents who came to us telling us they were not satisfied with their, with their service in the residential areas. So we have been having a dialogue with them about why is that, what does that mean, how can we facilitate the dialogue with the industry to try to, to make that concern known? Um, so we're having we're in the process of that dialogue. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes and where that takes us. I think it's important. You know, we have to address that. You know, we talk about the change of the worker. You know, the worker is going to change, and we need to be supportive of that. And we have a lot of people in our city, as I'm sure many other cities do, that work out of their home. They need that high-level service, so we got to make sure it's there. Well, I'll say that uh, the hotel I stayed in last night, I'm guessing, is near Dublink, um, yeah. the AC <laughs> hotel, mm-hmm. and the internet speed was one of the best I've seen. It was um, not as good as the hotel the city of Chattanooga owns and, and pumps up in an incredible way, but it was, I think, the second or third best hotel I've stayed at for internet access, so you're doing something right. Well, by the way, you mentioned Chattanooga uh, quite a few times this morning, and you know Chattanooga is an ICF community, and uh, they were a top seven community when we were. And uh, I would, you know, Chattanooga really, um, the former mayor there really embraced the ICF movement 
and I think it I think it had a, somewhat to do or helpful with with um, and helped to inform a lot of what they're doing with their broadband. But yeah, they're they're an incredible case um, of how to leverage that, and they've done a great job. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thanks for inviting me to to get a sense of what it's like here. It's been a great time. Well, it's been great having you, and we learned a lot from you today, and and uh, hope you'll come back and join us again. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure I will. That was Christopher talking with Dana McDaniel about Dublink in Dublin, Ohio, and the Global Institute for the Study of the Intelligent Community. Be sure to check out Muni Networks for more on Dublin and Dublink. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you, Arnie Hughesby, for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 278 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. (laughs) ¶¶